0: to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. And the same thing goes for Sanitas Radio where we declassify the secrets to health and longevity so that you can unlock your full potential. Go to sanitasradio.com, take a listen, and subscribe. Or if you want to get in touch with me, have a suggestion, or want to be a guest on this radio program, just go to our website and click on the contact button. We have all heard the famous words uttered by Neil Armstrong, as he allegedly stepped on the moon for the first time on July 20th, 1969. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Was it? Or was it a $150 billion giant hoax for mankind? To discuss this, tonight's special guest is Bart Sibrel, an award-winning filmmaker, writer, and investigative journalist who has been producing movies and television programs for 30 years. During this time, he has owned five production companies, been employed by two of the three major networks, and produced films shown on the largest TV networks. He has appeared on some of the most popular TV and radio shows, and his films have been published on the largest magazines and newspapers. And we have a more comprehensive bio right on our website. His website is sabrell.com, that's S-I-B-R-E-L dot com, which is also linked to At ours, and directly from Washington D.C., I would like to welcome Bart Sibrell. Hello, Bart, and welcome to Veritas. How are you?
1: Good. How about you, Mel?
0: Excellent. And I've been looking for you for years, and I'm finally, finally finding you here. But I I think it's very appropriate because I never get tired of discussing the moon and the fact that I I don't like to give my opinion on this show because as a journalist, I like to remain neutral but nothing that I have seen for the past 35 years. How are you
1: ever going to work for Fox then?
0: (laughs) You know, I know you were a huge fan of the Apollo mission and you believed everything NASA told you, but something changed. What made you question the authenticity of the Apollo mission, part?
1: Well, I was about four and a half years old when they allegedly walked on the moon, which was at around 10 p.m. central time, so I was in bed asleep. However, my father was an officer in the Air Force, and one of the VIP privileges he got was this package of pictures, about 29 by 12 color pictures from Apollo 11. So he gave them to his son, and I put them up on my bedroom wall, and I had them up there for about years. So you, you can imagine I've looked at these pictures from the age of 4 to 14 nearly 4,000 times. And as Kubrick's last film was Eyes Wide Shut, you can be looking at things and still not see them. And then at the age of 14, I saw a news magazine program on in which their guest was William Casing. He was a contractor for Rocket 9 and worked for six and a half years developing uh, the Apollo rocket, the Saturn V. And he asserted quite confidently because he was the uh, basically editor of these interdepartmental memos. So even though they tried to keep everything – departmentalized to keep it a secret, you know, the one person made the glove and the door and the boot and the door handle or whatever. He saw memos from all departments would edit them. So he was one of the few pictures outside of the flight director, Von Braun and the president, who saw the complete uh, scope of what was really going on. And he read a memo that said the odds of a successful manned mission on the first attempt was one in 10,000. In fact, in the entire history of aviation, there's not a single aircraft that got off the ground on the first attempt. Certainly, the Wright brothers didn't make it on their first attempt. There's probably like their 20th to 100th attempt, and even the 747 aircraft in the 70s. Now, aircraft at that time had been around for about, you know, 50 years. They had made millions and millions of aircraft. And when they made the 747, it rolled out of the hangar a glider. They went through over 162 engines in attempts to get that off the ground, and they could not get it off the ground, even though aircraft had been around for 50 years. And this was 10 years after development of the Apollo project. So the only time in aviation history That a spacecraft or aircraft worked on its first attempt was also the most difficult one ever built. It's completely illogical. So I see William Casey on this TV program talking about this, and at the end of the program, I go to my wall, and there are the pictures. And suddenly I look at them. With new eyes. And I start seeing fake backdrops and how the landscape is very detailed and suddenly, you know, is out of focus at a straight line across. I start seeing other anomalies in the picture and that kind of planted the seed. Well, uh, 10 years later, at the age of 24, I had become a filmmaker and a filmmaker's job is to make fake scenes look real. I remember showing one of my films you can see on my YouTube channel called The Passerby, a short film about a person meeting an angel. And one of my colleagues, Really, a more advanced filmmaker than I was at the time said, Bart, I love the beautiful way you used the sunset out the window. And I said, well, that was really an electrical light. (laughs) So my job is to make fake scenes look real. Now, I went to a wine tasting once. And the leader of the class said something like, you know, he could take a sip of wine, he could tell you how old it was, uh, what country it came from, and what region. And I said, you got to be kidding me, but he could. So I can look at a picture, and I can tell you if this is sunlight or this is electrical light, because that's my specialty. Well, at age 24, as a filmmaker, believe it or not, I was editing a project for the person who had produced the show I'd seen 10 years earlier. And I said, do you remember that guy who was on your show 10 years ago who said we didn't go to the moon? Do you remember his name? Name? He said, no, call the San Francisco production office. I did, and they said they delete because of archive space being an issue, all files and videotapes every 10 years. And I was days away from that information being deleted. So they were able to give me, you know, with a few days uh, out of 10 years, uh, uh, you know, safety margin, Bill's number and contact information. I contacted him and he said, well, Bart, you're a filmmaker. You should do a film about how the moon landings are fake. I took off about six months paid myself a salary to research it. I found out, you know, shadows that should be parallel if they're lit by the sun intersect sometimes at 90 degrees, which is, you know, definitely artificial light. I found out that two of the three astronauts very seldom, if ever, give interviews. I found out the administrator of NASA resigned before the first Apollo mission. I found out the Russians had a five-to-one man-hour and space advantage. They had launched everything first, the first satellite, the first animal, the first woman, the first spacewalk, the first crew of three, the first of two spacecrafts. They were so much more advanced, and it started smelling like there was at least a one-out-of-four chance that they didn't go to the moon. Now, I like puzzles. I even draw mazes. And I said, uh, if anyone could find out whether he went to the moon or not, it would be me because I love puzzles. And as you probably saw from my sequel, Astronauts Gone Wild, I kind of have a relentless personality. <laughs> so knowing that about myself, believe it or not, Mel, I turned down the project initially. I said to myself, I'm a liar. Everyone's a liar. Why should I risk my life? for someone else's folly. Because if they didn't go to the moon, if I start overturning these rocks, it could be hazardous to my health. So I turned it down. About five or 10 years went by and I started reading the Bible. And I realized that there is a right or wrong. I mean, even if you're an atheist, surely rape is wrong and giving a poor person food is good. So I realized there is good and evil in the world. And that this event, you know, symbolizes something very important to mankind. Put it this way, Mel, if they could go to the moon, let's say they could with 1960s technology land on another planet and come back and live to tell about it. That would have a certain level of significance historically to mankind. But if they couldn't do it and they lied about it and they embezzled billions of dollars and murdered people, to keep it a secret, you see, Mel, that is more important of an event historically than if they had actually gone. So I finally said, after reading the Bible, you know, I'm going to die anyway. And so if they didn't go, this is a very important event in human history. So I changed my mind, and I started producing a funny thing happened on the way to the moon. And then I was just doing it under the theory it might be true. And then three and a half years into the film, I'm going through the archives. I pop in a tape. It says on the screen, you know, do not show to the public. And even though I requested unedited footage from NASA, I didn't get any except two uh reels that I got uh by mistake or Bill Believes uh whistleblower sent them to me. They had a different label on them than what was the content of the tape. And I hit fast forward and I kept seeing the same shot for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, the same shot. Like they're doing it over and over and over again. And it ended up being a special effect shot of them faking being halfway to the moon. And I realized, Oh my God, they really didn't go to the moon. I remember calling up bill panicked, you know, Oh my God, bill, they really didn't go. They really didn't go. And he said, well, Bart, I told you. And I said, yeah, but they really didn't go. And he said, well, Bart, I told you.
0: <laughs> what did that do so, to your paradigm?
1: Well, first it freaked me out. I started fearing for my life because I figured that we'll never know in my lifetime whether we win or not. Just like some you know, patriotic African-American citizens thought you know, we'll never have an African-American president in their lifetime. But they were wrong. And I thought, well, we'll never know in my lifetime whether we really win or not. But I was also wrong because here I had in my house – proof of the biggest government fraud i think bigger than who shot jfk in my house with a blind roommate and a two three-year-old son and i'm thinking i took no security precautions whatsoever and i'm thinking i have proof that the moon landing is fake in my house what have i gotten myself into (laughs) you know i was just panicked and scared for my life
0: well, certainly. And, you know, just to, for people who are wondering, why did I say $150 billion, is because in the 1960s, the actual cost, correct me if I'm wrong, Bart, but it was $20 billion adjusted for inflation is about $159 billion in today's money.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of money. I figured it could build 2 million two-bedroom homes. Uh, it could feed 2 million homeless people for their entire lives. So even if you could go to the moon, it seems like it's kind of a mental masturbation to do it anyway when there are all these you know, more beneficial things. In fact, there's an actual audio recording of Kennedy after he set the goal to go to the moon regretting it. He said for that amount of money, we could have provided the entire continent of Africa permanently with clean drinking water, which they still do not have to this day.
0: When you think about that, the... Yearly budget for defense in the United States is close to six hundred billion dollars, and it has, you know, the nine, the nine countries after it combined. It's just incredible. But you know, I'm I'm looking here and thinking how I also was an avid, you know, I loved the moon even when I was a child, first grade, second grade. You know, what do you want to become when you? When you become an adult, I want to be an astronaut. But then in 1974, 1975, I think it was, I grew up in Puerto Rico. And I was told that a cruise ship was coming that week with Neil Armstrong. And he was going to be coming out and talk to the media. So as a little kid, I asked my parents to take me there. So I waited outside for Mr. Armstrong to come out. Well, he never did. And ever since, I wondered, why is it so reclusive? And that was it until the day he died. Why do you think he was always so reclusive and why did he never address his trip to the moon?
1: Well, I was thinking about something this morning, uh, which just remind me of his little bag of tricks that was found after he died. The reason uh, he behaved the way that he did, not wanting to talk about it, was uh, because he was originally a man of very high integrity. Now, the crew uh, that was supposed to be the first crew to go to the moon was the crew of Apollo 1, and the man they had picked to be the first man to walk on the moon was a man by the name of Gus Grissom. He was most beloved by the public because one of his Mercury spacecraft, when it hit the ocean, it hit so hard it triggered the explosive bolt backup system of the door. And when it bobbed under the water, the explosive bolts went off and the spacecraft started filling with water. And so it was kind of a embarrassing failure uh, on the national stage. And at the press conference, he further confessed that he had in each pants pocket like 10 rolls of nickels from the bank so that his son, Scott Grissom, could give these out to school children and say these nickels have come from outer space. So he was thinking of the kids. However, he confessed when he started sinking to the bottom of the ocean with all this extra weight in his pockets that that wasn't such a brilliant idea. And of course, the audience of the press conference started laughing. And then someone asked him, were you afraid? And he said, of course, I was afraid. And he admitted he was human, that he was just like anybody else with a particular, you know, special skill set. And that made him the most beloved person. Well, as the Apollo spacecraft was being developed and they were supposed to have it done in about six years. He said, you know, we are 10 or 20 years away from being done. He saw so many schedule slippages and so much incompetence in the wiring. In fact, the day he died in the spacecraft, they could not even get a wired intercom system to work between two buildings. And one of his last words were, guys, how are we going to get to the moon if we can't talk between two buildings? And they said, what did you say? We can't hear you. And he repeated that statement. Now, he was so upset with the dilapidated condition of the spacecraft that he was preparing this huge memo to Congress, which was actually confiscated from his house by the CIA prior to his widow being informed that he had even died. And he was getting so frustrated because he would complain at the chain of command, but they wouldn't do anything because the the top people knew they were not going to go to the moon. Either they were going to admit that Kennedy had bit off more than he could chew, or they were going to fake it, but they hadn't made up their mind, and therefore, they had not informed the astronauts it was on a need-to-know basis. And so, a few weeks before he died, he was an avid farmer, and in his Houston backyard, he had like one lemon tree, one grapefruit tree, one apple tree, and he had grown a lemon. lemon the size of a grapefruit, and he took a coat hanger, clipped the bottom of it, stuck you know the lemon between it, turned the hook around, and he... Put it on the very top of the spacecraft and without permission had an impromptu press conference where it was photographed for national television. And he became, you know, the higher ups, the generals or whoever became furious at him. He is a boat rocker and they knew the moment he would be asked to fake the moon landing, he would just tell the media what was really going on. So what they did is they lured him into the spacecraft, and they burned up two other guys along with him to make it look like they weren't singling him out. I have the however many pages, two to 300-page report from this that we paid $10,000 from for one of his crew members' uh, widow's estate, and in there – You see a dip in power prior to the fire, meaning there was some sort of device alligator clamped in there that was sucking power off of it. And that there was cyanide gas in there, uh, which was actually the cause of death. Because when they removed their charred bodies, they were still buckled in. Now, the very first thing you're going to do if you're in there and there's a fire is you're going to unbuckle your belt. Right. The fact that they were buckled in was proof that they were actually dead before the fire began. The fire was a method of getting rid of the forensic evidence of the cyanide poisoning.
0: Plausible deniability.
1: Correct. So after uh, this happened, it was a warning to the other astronauts. So Neil Armstrong steps in as the you know replacement crew, and they eventually, I'm sure, had to ask him to participate in this fraud. Being a man of integrity, I'm sure he turned them down. They bribed him. They turned him down. Even if they had a skeleton in his closet to blackmail him with, I, I doubt that they had one. <laughs> so that probably wouldn't work. Then you have to turn up the heat. So if you threaten the guy's life who flies aircraft that had never been flown before, which is extremely dangerous, I don't think threatening the life of a test pilot is going to mean that much to him either. So the only thing left would be to threaten the life of his wife and children. And under those particular circumstances, you would get his extremely reluctant cooperation. They can't allow the guy to resign after he's picked to be the first man to go on the moon. That would be an embarrassment. People will ask, well, why? are you resigning? Are you afraid or whatever? He'd say, no, I just don't want to participate in faking it. So obviously they weren't going to let him say that. So the only way he can maintain his integrity is simply to not talk about it. Otherwise he's forced to line. Now, what I was thinking about this morning is after his death, his widow found this bag of equipment. You know, it's got to weigh at least 50 pounds, like a camera and a compass or rope or who knows what it was. That according to the historical record up until this point, was left on the moon. So he acknowledged, and it was written in the history books, that all this equipment was left on the moon. I mean, the spacecraft... Every ounce counts, right? So, having extra 50 pounds of gear probably would have made it, if it were really happening, you know, off center balance or caused too much fuel or whatever. No one even questioned this. Didn't he claim to it for, you know, for 45 years to have left this stuff on the moon and it's in the guy's closet? Well, that's proof right there he didn't go to the moon. Not to mention five years ago, a moon rock personally given by Neil Armstrong to the prime minister of of Holland was removed from a hermetically sealed case. After my film came out, the curator watched a funny thing happened on the way to the moon and he got curious and he opened this case that they presumed would never be opened. And he looked under a microscope at this alleged moon rock and, And it turned out to be a piece of petrified wood that had a unique out of this world look to it. But unless there are trees growing on the moon, it's a fake rock and no one connects the dots. If the equipment that's left on the moon is in the guy's closet, it means they didn't go to the moon. If the moon rocks are fake, that means the moon mission is fake. And then in 1994... When the space shuttle goes up to its highest altitude of about 360 miles, CNN reports the following. The radiation belt surrounding the Earth is more dangerous than previously believed. Now, what they're talking about is Van the Allen. Van Allen radiation belt that starts at about 1,000 miles up and extends at least 25,000 miles beyond that. Now, every manned mission, space mission, has been below that except going to the moon. The space shuttle only orbits at 200 miles, so pick your city, pick another city that's 200 miles away, and then turn that vertical. That's all they get. If you had a foot You know, diameter globe that would be a half an inch above the globe. The only time they said to go through this radiation again starts at a thousand miles, is 25,000 miles thick, is to the moon. They'd have to go through it to the moon and back. And yet, when they get 740 miles away from it, they can see the radiation with their eyes closed. And CNN says the radiation belt, according to the space shuttle astronauts, is more dangerous than previously believed. Now, wait a minute. How can a space shuttle crew More than 700 miles or about 700 miles away from the radiation. How can they know more about it than astronauts who went through it to the moon and back? Do you see this? They they said this is a new discovery. The radiation is more dangerous than previously believed. Previous believed is the Apollo mission. Yeah, so the first clue we have is that stuff that was supposed to be left on the moon by Armstrong is actually in his closet here on Earth. The second clue is the Holland Museum moon rock given personally by uh, Armstrong to the prime minister that turns to be – out to be petrified wood. And then in 1994, when the Space Shuttle astronauts get closer to the Van Allen Radiation Belt, which is this field of radiation that starts above the Earth at about a 1,000 miles altitude and extends for about 25,000 miles. And every manned mission and the entire history of space travel has been below that except going to the moon. So when the Space Shuttle gets to an altitude that's about 640 miles away from it, they can see the radiation with their eyes closed as sparks of light hitting it. And CNN issues the report that says this word for word. The radiation belt surrounding the Earth is more dangerous than previously believed. Well, what is previously believed? That's the Apollo missions who were in the middle of the radiation for an hour to the moon and for an hour coming back. So how is it that space shuttle astronauts who are 640 miles away from the radiation can know more about it astronauts who went through it now you can also see on my youtube channel which is linked at sabrell.com this orion project that came out uh, in december of last year they have their own nasa video and this 20-ish guy engineer saying that they must that's right Uh, kelly smith he says we must first learn how to protect astronauts from the dangerous radiation of the Van Allen radiation belt before we can send people through this region of space. So he's basically admitting that the Apollo astronauts did not go through it because he's saying the technology to protect astronauts from this radiation does not yet exist. It's an admission that they did not go to the moon. I called the press department. I say, I want to talk to the guy. No, he doesn't give interviews anymore. Yeah, I can see why. <laughs> and then, not only that, I say, well, why don't you give me these guys? They had two different Geiger counters. The Orion mission went up, and it went to exactly 3,600 miles and came back. Now, if you go to the grocery store and then come back home, what's your destination? The grocery store. So if they go to 3,600 uh, 3, miles and then you turn, what's their destination? is at 3,600 miles. It's the radiation belt. That's why they have two Geiger counters on board. They need to know the radiation of that belt. So I said, well, well, why don't you send me those Geiger counter, Reenies? And they said, no, it's a classified secret. And I said, wait a minute here. You're telling me that something like the temperature of the sun or how much hydrogen is in Jupiter's atmosphere – is a secret? It's just a part of nature. Why would uh, the amount of radiation in a part of space be a national secret? They said I had to file a Freedom of Information Request Act in order to get the, get those readings. And I said you got to be kidding me. Now, this is completely absurd. There's no reason for a measurement of nature to be a secret unless it would prove that the moon landings are fake and that's why it's a national secret. So, what can you do? I mean, uh the even these 20-ish people are, su- are basically suggesting directly or they're figuring it out, but they don't want to get fired. So they're hinting at the radiation belts uh, prevent people from leaving Earth orbit. I mean, they're saying so. They say we cannot yet send people through this region of space. Then how do they do it with 1960s technology? I mean, Lindbergh flew across the Atlantic, I believe it was 1927. Now, to say it would be 50 years... Before anybody on earth from any nation, including the one that did it 50 years earlier, it would be 50 years before another person flew across the Atlantic. That's just not the case. When Columbus sailed to the New World, it was like the following year. Everyone was sailing to the New World. When Lewis and Clark went west, it was the following year. Everyone went, you know, west. When the Wright brothers achieved powered flight, It was weeks later that other people around the world were achieving powered flight. To say that we could go to the moon on our first attempt with 1960s technology and it cannot be repeated by any nation on Earth 50 years later? I mean, China, the most industrialized country on Earth, says it's going to take twice the amount of time as it did in the 1960s to develop the technology to reach the moon. It's totally absurd. The South Pole has 100 to 200 mile-per-hour winds. It's be, it's below 100 degrees minus Fahrenheit there, and yet there are bases there. Why? Because it's humanly possible. If it were humanly possible to go to the moon in the 1960s, there would be bases there by now. But
0: but, but look at everything, everything that's discovered. First, perhaps used by the military or its technology, then it becomes commercialized. I cannot believe that after almost 50 years... We haven't commercialized trips to the moon. By now, we should have hotels. We should have cameras pointing to the Earth from the moon. And none of that has happened.
1: Well, look at Branson. All he was trying exactly. to do, he's a very smart guy. And he was just trying to achieve low Earth orbit, and he killed his crew. And NASA, the last two times they in the military tried to achieve Earth orbit outside of the space shuttle, they blew up. So... If they can't go 200 miles above the Earth today, how could they land on another planet and play golf in the 1960s? (sighs) It is completely illogical. The problem we have here, Mel, is this is the only crime you could say or conspiracy, whatever word you want to use, that is positive. I mean, whoever shot Kennedy, he's still dead. Whoever did 9-11, 3,000 people are still dead. But the moon landing is a positive Lie, and it's like me telling you uh, your favorite football team that just won the Super Bowl. Well, they cheated. You know, they drugged the other team or they changed the score. You don't want to hear it. You're ready to punch me in the face for saying such a despicable thing. But what if it's true? The problem is people want to hear. And
0: you were punching the face a few times, right?
1: Well, that's true. Uh, the fact is, if I walked on the moon and someone else thought otherwise, I would find that hysterical. That would be like throwing a feather at me. Why would I be mad for someone throwing a feather at me? If someone said will you swear in a bible that you walked on the moon and I did I'd say sure. I swear in a stack of bibles, you're okay. But the fact is, it would be like walking up to a man in front of his wife and saying, "Well, how's your girlfriend doing?" That would make him mad because I'm revealing a truth that he wants suppressed. But let's if stay
0: for- let's not interrupt you. Let's stay with the Van Allen belt for a moment because this is puzzling and it makes you wonder how dumb they think we are to not notice. And I've also seen interviews with NASA personnel where they're saying they're designing new spacesuits so that the astronauts can't withstand going through the Van Allen belt. Anyone with a bit of brain, Bart, should question this. How is it that they're coming up with these spacesuits now when allegedly astronauts have been going through the Van Allen belt since 1969. I mean, take astronaut uh, Alan Bean. You interviewed him, right? The fourth person to allegedly walk on the moon on November 69. He said he wasn't sure we went far enough out to encounter the Van Allen belt. Maybe we did. Then, when you said the belt is uh, 1,000 to 25,000 miles out, he said, then we went through it. But he basically said we hadn't discovered it then.
1: Yeah, he was kind of doing doublespeak. He wasn't even aware that he went through the Van Allen belts. I pointed out that the space shuttle can see the radiation from six hundred and forty miles away and you're in the middle of it. You didn't have that effect. And he said, Well, yeah, yeah. You know, after the fact, I said, but it wasn't reported at that time until nineteen ninety four. And he said, Yeah, but it hadn't been discovered. So he said he saw him, then he didn't see him. He said he went through the belt, but then he said he didn't. Can't really make up his mind. The guy also said, you know, during the alleged descent to the moon, it's it's super quiet. And he, you know, you can hear Neil Armstrong or whoever saying, you know, we're we're 100 feet away, 90 feet away. And it's dead quiet in the background. And he said, well, that's because the vacuum of space, which they use for a catch-all excuse for all the lies that are pointed out, that because of that, you can't hear the engine. But then again, uh, Eugene Cernan, he says, oh, it's very loud while you're descending to the moon. Well, it's the same equipment. One of it's loud and the other time it's dead well, quiet. Well, two things.
0: The Van Allen <laughs> to... discovery in 1958, you would think that an astronaut, the fourth person to walk on the moon would be well-versed on that if he's going to be going through it
1: yeah, but what can you do? You you know, it's it's the thing that you have to really be a seeker of the truth. You have to be willing to be wrong. The Bible says that pride comes before a fall, and that pride will blind you. Pride is simply the lack of willingness to be wrong. And humility, God says, I oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble, is your willingness to be wrong. I went to a church once, and they said, you know, how many people like to be wrong? And they were they were basically, no one raised their hand because they are very prideful about, we have an answer for every Bible question. They may not be the right answers, but they at least have one. And I said, well, I like to be wrong. And well, why? Well, number one, I'm not walking around self-deceived. And number two, I'm learning something new. You just have to be a truth seeker. It, it's amazing. Most people who adamantly believe that the moon landing is will not entertain for one one-hundredth of a second. That the moon missions were fake. They're they're like Gaga over it. They worship it. In fact, during the launch, you can hear people say, "My God!" Well, that's it exactly. The overflowing of the heart, the mouth speaks. It is their god. They are brainwashed by Star Trek, which preceded it by a couple of years. That you know, traveling around the world and all the universe is you know as easy as microwaving a burrito. And so, surely we can walk on the moon if they can do that. It was you know, who knows if that was predictive programming or what. It's it just so it's so simple. If they can go to the moon with 1960s technology, and I can buy a, a watch from Walmart for ten dollars that. Has has 100 times the computing power as that rocket, then they could go today, but they cannot do it. That is so crystal clear that they didn't go. Not to mention the fact that I have photographic evidence of them faking a shot right in front of your eyes and a funny thing happened on the way to the moon and audio according to nasa there's only two people on this channel because it's a public you know channel funded by the taxpayers it's not a military project it's done for the you know scientific purposes there's nasa on the channel and there's the astronauts on the channel wrong at the beginning of the clip and you can play it if you'd like you know you hear nasa saying hey the tv picture looks great there's exactly four seconds of dead air then you hear a third party that. It's crystal clear, no radio, you know, interference, and it says, talk. And then Neil Armstrong starts speaking. Now, at first, I thought, well, he was preoccupied with this, you know, special effect shot they were doing, and they were reminding him, you know, to talk. Actually, after the film was produced, I realized he's only about 200 miles above the Earth. And so – according to, you know, time delay, there really isn't one. He can hear NASA immediately and they can him, hear him, him hear, hear him immediately. However, if he's halfway to the moon, 130,000 miles out, it would take time for the radio signal to go there, come back and be processed through all that equipment and satellites around the world. It'd be about a four second delay. So had he answered the question immediately, it would give away the fact that he's really much closer to the earth than he claimed to be. So that's why someone in the CIA was counting off four Seconds on a stopwatch, he had a private earpiece in. After he heard NASA, four mm-hmm. seconds go by, you hear talk. And then Neil Armstrong starts speaking to create that fake radio delay to give the impression he's further away from the Earth than he really is. That's on the tape, too. In fact, four out of five people who watch a funny thing happen on the way to the moon reverse their opinion as to the authenticity of the moon missions, largely because of this newly discovered unedited footage of outtakes from the mission of them faking a shot right in front of your eyes. It's not a theory. It's not a theory that we didn't go to the moon. It is prior to this footage being uncovered. It's a fact. You can see it and hear it with your own eyes and ears.
0: But even today, before we started, I was talking to my wife and uh, she's not into any of these topics. She believes that we went to the moon. She thinks, well, that's okay. But I said, all right, so you believe we went to the moon. It's been 50 years almost and we haven't commercialized it. And she actually paused and said, Hmm, that's the most compelling thing I've ever heard. You may be onto something, she said. But if space is a vacuum part, what in the world are spacecraft pushing against? Don't we need air or water or something to push against in order to maneuver in space?
1: Well, not necessarily. You could uh what they allegedly have around this Apollo spacecraft and they have it around satellites too, are these tiny little rockets that uh correct the inertia slightly one direction or the other. Uh you don't need it. In fact it technically would be more more viable and more accurate to not have the resistance of air. Um the but space. What, but shuttle, what are
0: they pushing against? You need to well, something- nothing.
1: They're not pushing against anything. They just have to have escape velocity. And then once they're on a trajectory, it just needs to be altered slightly. It can go to the left, right, up, down, or whatever. It can also be slowed down or sped up. Uh, you know, theoretically, uh, you know, you could go to the moon if you had enough uh, protection from the radiation. But we're talking at least a foot of lead around the entire spacecraft. And then, according to Von Braun, uh once you landed on the moon in his original writings you would have to immediately go into a cave in the moon if you could find one to protect yourself from micrometeorites meteorites i don't know how many hit the earth every day but i'm sure it's in the tens of thousands of falling stars you know little sparks in the sky they burn up uh before they hit the earth because of the atmosphere and the friction thereof However, on the moon, you don't have atmosphere. So all those tens of thousands of meteorites are hitting the moon every single day. And if you have a meteorite only the size of a grain of sand, that thing is traveling anywhere from 15,000 to 25,000 miles per hour. And it's going to go through your brain and through your space suit or spacecraft and cause decompression. And it's going to kill you. In fact, Von Braun said, there would be a 50% chance of a catastrophic failure because of a micrometeorite on the moon every 48 hours. And then he completely recanted on that. In fact, he said to reach the moon initially, you would need three rockets, not one. And each rocket would have to be about uh, 40 times bigger than the Apollo spacecraft. In fact, he recanted on his math by a factor of more than 30,000% when Kennedy set the goal to go to the moon. Now, number one, how can you trust a guy who is that far off on his math or uh, it seems like he's making some sort of political correctness change here? I mean, after all, Kennedy... Was not a scientist. He was a visionary politician. We went up into space for 15 minutes. We went from the East coast to the West coast, didn't even orbit the whole Earth. Three days later, the guy says, Hey, let's, let's make a goal to go to the moon before the end of the 1960s, December 31st, 1969. We allegedly met that goal within 5%. What happened was, is it proved to be an impossibility. He was killed. Johnson took over course, he's from Texas, and all that NASA money is in Houston. Mm-hmm. And out of all the presidents who were eligible to run for reelection as an incumbent in the entire history of the country, there was only two who chose not to. One of which is Johnson, because he knew they were going to fake the moon landing. Now, who knew that would work? It might work. It might not work. And if it didn't work, and it, you got caught when you were president. What a legacy that would be. It would be worse than Nixon. And so he chose not to run so he would not have to deal with that hot potato. Then Nixon comes in, tricky dick, and you have to understand there's no independent press coverage. People say, well, there are 100,000 people involved in NASA. That's true. But there are 150,000 people involved in building the atomic bomb in 1944. And yet they didn't know what they were building. One person built the switch, another person built this, that, and the other. It's completely departmentalized to keep it a secret. You really think they're going to tell the guy building the glove or the door of the boot, hey, the moon are fake, but don't tell anybody. Give me a break. The thing is like a pyramid, and only the people at the very top know what is going on. They go up, and then there's only three eyewitnesses, three I mean, people say, oh, would you de- deny the Holocaust? Of course not. World War II was done on Earth in front of a billion eyewitnesses, but each moon landing only had three eyewitnesses controlled by the government, and there's no independent press coverage, right? There's all sorts of independent press coverage of World War II, but who can go to the moon? Who can go to outer space? We just assumed, because we trusted Nixon, that these pictures, television, were coming from the moon, but they're just coming from the government. They can say whatever they want to say. You know, the idea that this alleged new lunar, you know, orbiter taking a picture of the surface and have these little shadows or scratches. It's amazing that people think this is proof that the moon landings are fake. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Nearly 50 years ago, they faked a full body picture standing on the moon's surface of an astronaut. So you don't think they can fake little scratches or shadows on a lunar satellite picture 50 years later with Photoshop? I mean, come on. It, it's like asking a criminal to provide his own proof of his own guilt. Do you really think he's going to do that? I mean, it's absurd. It says, well, go to NASA.gov and you can see all the proof of the, of the moon landings being real. Really?
0: <laughs> well, what about the, the Clementine mission? Why haven't we seen more? Only 10% of the images we've seen.
1: Well, one interesting thing is that NASA now says that all of the lunar landing sites are off limits, that you cannot go there. You physically can't send a rover there or whatever. Well, that's pretty convenient, isn't it? You know, you cannot you know, according to China, they are banned from sending a rover to the Apollo 11 landing site, which could theoretically, you know, prove that there's nothing there because there is nothing there. And China, unfortunately, is kind of in bed with the United States. They're not going to call RBS and we're not going to call theirs. I mean, they have most favored nation trading status, even though they run over their own citizens with tanks mm-hmm. when they want to have a democracy. I mean, is that a little contradictory or what? So they know, in fact, they teach in college, high school and elementary school in China that the moon landings are fake. They never say it publicly. That's just what they do in their own country. I've talked to Russians and they say the only people who think the moon landings are real are the brainwashed Americans because of the propaganda they're constantly fed. Every year History Channel comes up, you know, with Apollo, moon missions are great. Well, here's something. The Saturn V rocket, all the schematics and engineering and blueprints, as well as the lunar module, they say well, none of that's classified. They're just not available. We destroyed them. Now, if you had made this great invention of something that flawlessly lands on the moon on the first attempt and comes back and can somehow, with a bank of car batteries, compete with air conditioning against 250 degrees outside for three days nonstop, I think I would want to save you know the millions and billions of dollars worth of engineering designs and schematics uh, on that. But they were deliberately destroyed. So that you could not later prove that it's simply impossible to power air conditioning against 250 degrees on the spank of car batteries for more than, you know, probably an hour. And then it would probably only get down to about 190 degrees. So all this stuff you could prove. You could prove the Saturn V didn't have enough fuel to have escape velocity. But they've destroyed all the, you know, original diagrams of it. And, of course, you know, they also destroyed all the original, every single original TV image of every moon mission got accidentally lost. Now, they have a copy or the original of the Constitution and which is 237 years old, the Declaration of Independence and all these things, but they can't keep videotapes of the most important event in the country's history. They lose them. I've estimated that this is about one to two tons worth of videotapes and they lost it. And then the only VCR that can play back these one-of-a-kind formatted tapes, they deliberately disassembled and destroyed the parts so that if the tapes are found in the future, you can't ever watch them anyway. In fact, poor Ron Howard who was so gaga over Apollo, even though his own grandfather told him that the moon missions were fake and he ignored him? He had this IMAX 70 millimeter, you know, extravaganza 10, 20 years ago about the moon landings and all their great. Watch the movie. 90% of it are reenactments because there's so little original footage from the missions. And then some of them, of this huge IMAX screen, is this little box. About ten percent inside, and you can see a VHS tracking line. You know why? Because the footage was so hard to come by, he rented it from Blockbuster just like I did. (laughs) I can see the V I can see the VHS tracking line. And it's because of him that the tapes got lost anyway. Because he called up NASA and he said, You know, what we've got is fourth generation, a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And I want the originals and I want to do all digital transfers and I want it to be seen in the highest detail possible. They said I'll get back with you. And when they got back with him, all the tapes were lost. Thank you, Ron Howard. <laughs>
0: now now stay, <laughs> because... there for a, stay there for a moment because this is something that puzzles me too, the, the disappearance of all these, the, 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 the tapes. But also 1939, we were finally able to watch movies in Technicolor. Yet 30 years later, all we could get were second generation black and white images of the most important achievement for humanity where a camera is just filming a monitor.
1: Yeah. What they did was, um, they had uh, a camera that was allegedly on the moon. Then the networks complained that they couldn't take a live feed. Why you wouldn't want the public to see the highest resolution, you know, just dumbfounds me. Unless, of course, it's fake and you don't want them to see the, you know, the details of the studio, which is why they did it. Then that would go to a TV monitor at NASA that would be filmed by a video camera that would be projected if you can imagine projection tv quality on a big you know probably four by six foot screen at nasa and then that would be filmed by a tv camera they were deliberately lowering and lowering and lowering the resolution of the picture so that you couldn't see the fake backdrop and things like that i mean after all the very important tv show gilgan's island went from black and white to color i think in 1967 so, I would think NASA might have a little bit more budget than Gilligan's Island if they can afford, you know, and I dream a genie and That's bewitched, right. went from, you know, black and white and to Batman. About 1960s. <laughs> That's right. Surely, NASA, with all the money in the world and the best technology on the planet – could have a super high resolution color image coming from the moon, but they didn't want to do that. In fact, the second mission to the moon, Apollo 12, they accidentally, in quotes, pointed the camera at the sun a minute and a half into the mission, and it had no TV pictures of the mission after that. Apollo 13, allegedly, you know, this, you know, c- calamity, it was simply because reruns of Isle of Lucy were being interrupted. You know, on the second time to the moon, people were complaining. they had already seen us go to the moon once. Why, why are you interrupting Isle of Lucy? So they added this life and death jeopardy thing. They never left Earth orbit either. So,
0: so people were desensitized to that point?
1: Absolutely. I mean, imagine, let's say right now. They're, pu- they're putting a flag or reaching the South Pole for the very first time. You would, you and I would put it on the screen here. We'd take a moment. We would watch it. Now, six months from now, they do it a second time. Do we really care? And I mean, they're interrupting nice. the Kardashians.
0: <laughs> the Kardashians people would get mad, right?
1: <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, you know, you watch it the first time, but the second time, wham, whatever. Uh, but they were melting it. It was a cash cow. And so the whole thing about Apollo 13 was simply to add drama and intrigue. Uh, to the moon missions to hopefully get people to watch them because every time they went to the moon, they pocketed billions and billions of dollars. Where do you think these black budgets come from? You know, people knew during the Vietnam War they were in Cambodia, they were in Laos, even though Congress said, no, you cannot do that because they were taking money from projects like this and siphoning it off to buy secret military uh, equipment to do things that Congress did not authorize. That was going on then and it's going on now.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Bart. You're a photographer, a filmmaker. You remember when we used to carry rolls of film through security at the airport, and we were always concerned about losing our images when going through the X-ray machine. If the moon uh, has no atmosphere and no protection from radiation, how are the astronauts able to take a single photograph? Were the Hasselblad cameras protected with gold layers?
1: No, they weren't. In fact, if you see, you can also uh, see this at my YouTube channel linked through sabrell.com. You can see the Fox special. The Fox special is, in my opinion, one of the top films. I worked on it. Uh, it's called Conspiracy Theory, Did We Land on the Moon? That's on my YouTube channel as well. I was one of the contributors and they interviewed me about it. The most compelling part of that TV special are two things. Myself, when I say as the alleged expert on the topic, I would bet my life that we did not go to the moon. And the second most compelling to me as a viewer of it is when the designer of the camera sits there and looks at the pictures and says, these pictures look like they were lit in a television studio. I don't know why they look that way. And he looks down at his hands, very embarrassed. There were micrometeorites. There was a temperature discrepancy of 500 degrees between the sunlight and the shadow. The shadow was about minus 250 Fahrenheit, and the sun was about plus 250. Then there's space radiation, and there's no fogging from the temperature changes going hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold all the time, from shade to sh- you know, from shade to sunlight back and forth. There's no radiation damage. There's no streaking like the radiation the astronauts saw in the space shuttle getting near the Van Allen radiation belt, like a little sparks going through there. None of none of that is there. Pretty amazing. What's also amazing is I personally went to the archives and I said, "Can you please show me a picture of Neil Armstrong standing on the moon during Apollo 11?" they went through every single picture and there wasn't a single one now wait a minute isn't this the greatest event in human history and isn't he the first man to walk on the moon and there's actually not a picture of him by himself standing on the surface of the moon aside from an automatic motion picture camera on the side of the lunar module now the excuse is well he's taking all the pictures and that's why he's not in them well if if that were me, and I was spending billions and billions of dollars to go to the moon for the first time.
0: Get two cameras at least, you, one for yeah, me, one for might, you.
1: Yeah, I might want to have a backup camera. You could drop the thing, and then you have no pictures of this great event. But the thing is, he did not want his picture taken.
0: Why see, is that? Why is Well,
1: that? that's the same reason he doesn't give interviews, because he does not want liability. He does not want to fake it. He did it very reluctantly, likely because of threats against his wife and family. And he's cooperating to the absolute minimum because it disgusts him that he had to do this. Now, later on in life, he started, you know, unfortunately, his character changed, I believe, for the worse. And he started milking it. I mean, there's a company, I visited him uh, in New York City, and I forget the name of the company, but some company that builds smart bombs that you know, collateral damage is about 99% of the people and they get, you know, the ones that they wanted to get. And he's CEO, kind of a token CEO of the company. I mean, hey, hey, Neil Armstrong's the, you know, on the board or chairman of the board of our company, you should invest in it, right? And so the guy was unfortunately cashing in on his notoriety, even though he did not actually do what he claimed to have done. And you could see, I think it was nineteen ninety. Four or, or 96, uh, the one of the anniversaries' 25th anniversary, or something like that of the moon landing. I think it was 1994, 25th anniversary. And you could see at the end of my film, a funny thing happened on the way to the Moon, him leave this little cryptic remark. He had uh, been invited to the White House with the other true crew members of Apollo 11, and there were some high school students who were touring the White House at that time and paused to be part of the audience. And he said to them with tears in his eyes, and it was the only part of his speech he had completely memorized and looked straight ahead. And he said, perhaps someday you will be able able to remove one one of truth's protective layers.
0: I know it was by heart. Yeah.
1: Now, you saw humanity in his eyes at that point. But years later, when I met him on two or more occasions and saw him in a couple of other, you know, anniversary remarks, he looked like he lost his soul. He didn't care anymore. He had totally committed to the deceit, and that's too bad.
0: When you, when you met him, and I've watched that video many times, and the other astronauts saying, we have to take a break and, and discuss all of this when we come back. But when we, you met Neil Armstrong, what was the reaction when you questioned him?
1: Well, he was very nervous. He started shaking like a leaf. And I offered him $5,000 cash which is $1,000 a second, just to put his hand on the Bible, raise his right hand and say, I swear to God, I walked on the moon. He refused to do it. He got very, very nervous. Very few astronauts were were willing to do that. And the few that did regretted it because it's an oath that could be used as a deposition in court. You know, they've, they've threatened to take me to court so many times. I would so much wish that they would, but they were afraid of it. We could go and get a declaratory judgment. If any of your listeners want to finance a little legal case, You know, contact me through sabrell.com. We could go, not sue the astronauts, not sue NASA, and we simply go with this footage of them faking part of the mission and get what's called a declaratory judgment. Like if I bought a Picasso from you and I later doubted its authenticity, we could have expert panels verify either it was or was not a Picasso. We could go to court and say this footage that NASA claims is of them being halfway to the moon. Is it or is it not? I could testify. Percy and other people could testify. No, it's not. But what do they they, –
0: why did they create a kangaroo court and bring their own so-called experts to fake the testimony anyway?
1: No, we could demand a jury of our peers. And uh, as you know, you can approve or not approve of jury selection, and they can make their decision based on expert testimony. And then basically what we would prove, I believe successfully, is that part of the mission was fake. Now, if any of it is fake, then it's all fake. I think that's very clear.
0: Absolutely. We have to take a one all only intermission. When we come back, I want to discuss the Masonic connection. Also, the first press conference. Every time I watch that video, and you probably do too, when you watch that video of the three astronauts there having their faces almost as if their parents have been killed a minute before that. Why? When this should be the happiest moment for humankind in a way. But how can people buy the DVDs, learn more about your work and so on?
1: They can just go to sabrell.com and get all my links of all my uh, films and things like that. If they want to buy, I actually just started listing a few autographed copies of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon and Astronauts Gone Wild on both eBay and Amazon. And uh, you can get those for $29 each. I think they're cheaper than a new one. I think, believe it or not, a new version of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon on Amazon is selling for like $85 or something. So, uh, (laughs) hey, I guess it's a rare gem now. That's a good sign.
0: And as you say, your job was to make fake scenes look real. And I think Stanley Kubrick... Day two, I want to discuss Stanley Kubrick when we come back. Well, folks, a lot of information being discussed here. You wanted this show. You've been asking for years, and you got it. This is Mel Bambergas here with my special guest, Bart Subrell, directly from Washington, D.C., the epicenter of all things. We'll be right back. This is Veritas. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com click on Members, or subscribe. Or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, earthing and grounding products, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy.
2: Now it all started back in 62. JFK told the people what he would do. Put a man on the moon by decades in. Land him safe and bring him home again. Now he was a great speaker we all know. a politician and jack new jack We'll shoot some golf balls all around And stick a flag into the ground And that should be enough for the boot to watching dopes Cause there's facts about space travel most don't know That radiation gets more intense the farther out you go It starts at about a thousand miles out Go farther than that and you will die, there is no doubt (sighs) Unless you cover yourself with four feet of lead Any less than that, then brother, you'd be dead But to build a ship like that, why even try? The only light source is the sun But we need them for the pictures we're gonna take But no photos of stars or other stuff Some young astronomer may call our bluff And this can never come out that it's fake Cause it's much too meteors we found on earth if they want proof when you control the media you control the truth full-body pictures of neil armstrong on the moon there are only two do you realize he's never even granted one single interview But these facts don't leave me too surprised Ask him no questions and he'll tell you no lies Cause he knows